There we go. Welcome back to the 10th Annual Hoopsville Marathon. Again, if you were tuned in for the Cabrini uh, segment, you haven't missed it. We're going to float that to a little later in the program. I told you we're going to go a little bit over today. Um, Don't forget, still ahead, we talked to the National Committee Chairs um, in a conversation, admittedly, we've already had with them. Uh, It was rather, one, it went longer than I anticipated, and I I had kept my notes tight. They had a lot to say, and that's a good thing. Second, uh, it's a really insightful conversation, as they always are. Great conversation with Luke Fulkertzi and uh, Bethany uh, Danley. We'll look forward to that coming up in just a little bit. First, we go to our pundits, though. We're talking top 25. I kind of loaded this one up, to be completely honest, because I saved it for about a week and a half, trying not to use too much of our content, as it were, before we dove into this conversation, knowing I wanted to have them all on today's show. We'll start with the men's side of things in the top 25 that I don't think has gotten (laughs) any easier in any way, shape, or form. What does it all mean? Who is the best? I I got nothing. I'm just a voter in the top 25 trying to make it work myself. So joining me on the Hoopsville Hotline are three of our pundits. From left to right across your screen, Bob Quillman, Ryan Scott, and Matt Snyder, the good Snyder, from what we've been told, the good Snyder. Uh, He's the one who doesn't go against his alma mater, even if the numbers say otherwise. Um, uh, Update on that, by the way. Zach Snyder says he's showing up at Van Nord um, to go to the next game. Uh, We'll see if security lets him in. Uh, um, Gentlemen, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to join me. We we obviously have a dubious and deep dive and debatable teams to get through. But first and foremost, uh, your takes on what is absolutely an exciting uh, men's side of things, not only in the top 25, but beyond. Bob, we'll start with you. Uh, I said earlier in the show, there isn't a night I turn on a game where I'm not just just blown away by by the fun and the excitement and maybe an outcome I didn't expect. Yeah, I mean, if you, you think about the games we're seeing on a regular basis, I mean, the best example, unfortunately, is the one that my alma mater just had where the number one team in the CCIW loses to the number nine team. I think we saw, not not quite as crazy, I don't know what the standings are in the ASC, but Harden-Simmons losing, you know, it. It's just that's the kind of year it is, you, you know. Like we, we we've seen a lot of games like that where on paper you're like no way, and so it's a great season, and I think we're going to continue seeing that kind of stuff play out. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, Ryan, from your perspective, yeah, I mean it's 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 a season unlike any that I can remember. Right, that there's there are some very very good teams, but nobody who's running away with things. And then, like I think I told somebody the other day, there's probably 40 teams out there that I wouldn't be surprised to see in the final four, which I don't think has happened in my mind. Great point. No, I, I, we're steadily getting more used to that, but it's also getting a little crazy. Matt, yeah, just kind of echoing what these guys are saying. Um, I feel like we've been kind of pre- being prepared for this all season long. It's the type of year where anyone can beat anyone. Someone's going to make that deep tournament run that is kind of off our top 25 radar. We might see them in an elite eight or even a final four. Um, they're, they're, they're surprising upsets, but in some ways, these results that we see are also not surprising. It's a deep, it's a deep, like top 100 this year where uh, there's a lot of great teams out there. Yeah. Well said. Uh, very well said indeed. Um, it is a very deep uh, event and it's been a thrill to say the least. All right, guys, let's dive into this. Uh, we have deep dive 
uh, debatable and dubious selections. For anybody who's curious, debatable is just a team they're throwing out there. Hey, let's let's count. Hey, here's why I'm I'm debating about them. Whether they're too high or too low or too in the middle, or I just don't know anything about them. Uh, a deep dive team is someone who's maybe not getting any votes or hardly getting any votes. That maybe these guys are like, I'm I'm curious what your what is your take on them. And then the dubious is one they think is just hold on. Let's pump our brakes just a little bit. Maybe they're a little too high for whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm going to jump. I'm just going to arbitrarily choose one of them here, and we're going to start with debatable because I think that one's always kind of fun. Um, and we'll go just to start things off. We will go left to right. So, Bob, you get to, to tackle this one first and foremost. Uh, who is your debatable team this week? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, in all of these, my theme is going to be the same on dubious and debatable, which is it's a very soft debatable because of what we've talked about all season long. But I, I guess my debate is, it, is the sales the number 22 team in the country? I, you know, maybe, maybe not. Their, their record's great. They're 18 and two, they're nine and oh. Um, you know, I, I, I start to dig into though to things like strength of schedule and you know the, there's their SOS is 233 in Massey. I like to use Massey for SOS. It seems to be the the one that works out nationally the best. Um, Massey has them 31. They lost at Swarthmore. Um, they lost at home to Widener. They've won 15 in a row, but 12 of those 15 are are teams that are ranked uh, number 100 or lower in Massey, and some of those wins are against teams that Massey has ranked two in the 200s or 300s in SOS. So, um, you know, I again, I think the sales is a good team. I'm just floating out there for my panel colleagues. Are are we really sold that the sales is you know the number 22 team in the country versus some of the other options we could have out there? I mean, I haven't had them up real high yet, basically because they don't have that super signature win out there, right? It's a it's a good team. They're really sound, um, but the opportunities they've had with their schedule to get wins, they just haven't. And so, especially this year when there are so many teams with solid wins, it's it's just hard to rank a team like that. Although they could surprise somebody in March. Yeah, I mean, this is like the debate with the back half of our ballot every single week. Which, which of these two dozen teams do you want to put into these last five spots and a team like DeSales, I think they are good. They've had some difficulty proving that. I, like you guys said with the schedule, um, you know, I don't mind taking a flyer, but I think, yeah, these, these are the debates I constantly have with myself as I'm filling out a ballot is, is do I give it a team like DeSales or do I go with the team that maybe has a few more losses, but maybe they've proven it against a, a higher degree of, of competition. Yeah. I can't disagree. I've got them in my top 25, but they're in my bottom five. And so I could replace them just because I think somebody else suddenly had a great week. And right. to Matt's point, <laughs> there's 50 teams being voted on right now in the top 25. There's literally a whole nother 25 teams who aren't even getting on into the top 25. Good choice. I, I like it, Bob. Uh, Ryan, who's your debate? Or your, uh, yeah, your debatable team. Debatable. Um, I am going with Widener. <laughs> Speaking of the sales that we just pulled out there, Widener beat the sales pretty handily, although I watched that game and it was closer than the final score. There was a lot of free throws at the end of that. Um, and they played some games at the beginning of the season, certainly that that maybe looked a lot better than they do right now. Um, you know, they played Hampton Sydney really tough, which obviously still looks good. We don't know what to do with the sales. They beat Swarthmore which looked pretty good. They beat Carthage for that was, that was kind of after the injury and that was in Florida. So, you know, who knows what happens in Florida. 
obviously, and then took that huge loss to Hood. Um, and and it's more like, again, you can see this team. You can see all the talent they have. You know that they're a good team. But how good are they? I'm I'm just not sure. Yeah, for me on Widener, I'm in a similar position. I have them rated. I, I, I voted for them this week. I voted for, I think, Hood and Widener. And I have Widener behind Hood. And I'm really a little bit unsure. It, again, I think this is the same thing as the the DeSales debate. Uh, I don't think anyone could have a problem with having Widener in at the end of the ballot. I don't think anyone could have a problem with having Widener out. out. Um, now, where, where do they sit right now in the top 25? Where do we have them? Let's see. I think about 19. Yeah, I mean, 19. Uh, again, those final spots there, five, six, seven spots, I think it goes so many different ways. I have similar questions on just how good Widener is, and for that matter, just how good Hood is. But for now, the resume has them, has them in for me. Yeah, I've got them tw- uh, 21, and it, it's it, they're like the ARC. I can debate what Widener into five other schools and I'm not going to come up with a consensus in any way, shape, or form. Good choice. I like that one. Um, Matt, who's your debatable? Uh, my debatable team is NYU. Uh, not so much are they in or are they out. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that they're a good team. I just haven't really known where to put them almost all season long. I think I've had them as high as six, as low as 21. Um, here's kind of my concern with them. I think they've played a home-heavy schedule this year. And just looking at UAA play, they're 5-2 and two overall. But those five wins are all at home. 0-2 on the road. Now that's going to flip going ahead. They're going to have five road games and only two home games. Interested to see what they do with that. Uh, but it kind of gives me a concern of a team like NYU is, are they just playing at home and playing well at home? Um, and is that kind of maybe masking some concerns maybe I should have with them? Great choice, I'm guys. Sim- yeah, I'm in a similar spot on NYU. I've had them flipping all over from near the top five to 20. And this week I, I just looked and I had them 10. I, I feel like with NYU, the, the things I'm looking at in the last like week and a half, Chicago should have beaten them in New York. You know, they really should have closed the game out or, or could have closed the game out. Chicago it was in a great spot. Wash U flat out gave away the game at, at the end. So where would they be ranked had they lost one or both of those games? And on the flip side, though, guys, this Spencer Friedman guy, uh, I, I keep calling him the best closer in Division Three. If if you are if they are within four six points with a minute left, you feel like he's going to take the game over somehow and win it. So for those reasons, like I, I think NYU is a really good team, and I feel pretty good at tennis or so. Like I think they're great. Yeah, I mean that's one of those that you you watch them play and you go, well, this is one of the best teams in the country, right? Um. But at the same time, you know, some of the results have maybe not been what you wanted them to be, right? And uh, and so it, it's one of those, they've got good wins. And so I'm going to go with the wins they've got right now because that's on the board. And, and, you know, even asking that question, you know, what would happen if they had lost that game? Well, they didn't lose it. And so kind of have to go with what you've got. Fair point. Uh, Bob, I've been with you. I, I've had them all over the place. I think I might have even pulled them out of the top 25 at one point. After an Ofer weekend or something, um, I, I just, Matt, you got a good point. I think both men and women there, I think, wanted to celebrate the new arena. And so I think they scheduled a bunch of home games. It's, it's just a gut uh, feeling on that. But you're right. Does that mean they're, you know, what does that mean? 
Uh, and one of them is going to have to be on the road opening weekend, most likely the women, um, if if they're both able to host the tournament. So great choices. All right, we'll head to Dubious now um, because this is a team that maybe these guys think is just getting a little too much love or attention or whatever their their reasoning is for it. They, they want it fixed or they want it debated about. But uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. We'll leave Ryan for the uh, deep dive to start off. Uh, Snyder, uh, let me hear what your dubious choice is. Yeah, I'm going to pick Christopher Newport this week for dubious. I think they were only in at the end of the poll 25, so I don't have a huge problem with that, but I just I just don't really know what to make of the captains right now. They returned a lot from last year. They just haven't found it all season long. They last week lost to UC Santa Cruz by 17. They've got some interesting personnel issues going on. I think Trey Barber only played one minute in their last game. There's another player, uh, at least one player who was not on the roster anymore, who was playing significant minutes, if not starting some games. Um, I think there's like a really weird vibe that I'm getting from across the country about Christopher Newport. I don't know what it is, but I'm right now dubious on them at you know putting this all back on the tracks and either making a deep tournament run or really even kind of being a top 25 quality team at this point uh, fair argument real quick um barber got double teched in that santa cruz game and played one minute against pfeiffer he's the one who was previously suspended for a handful of games um and i've even had other coaches come up to me completely unreal go what is going on at cnu i i that's a great call matt Anybody have any thoughts on them? No, I'm in the same place. I, I did not vote for them this week over, I guess, what I would just call like confusion on personnel. Uh, I went back and it, when I saw Trey Barber played one minute, I went to watch the one minute on demand. And I don't know if either he's hurt and can't move or in the one minute I saw it was, I'll, I'll just say it wasn't, it wasn't good. Like, so I don't vote for them without the first team All-American Trey Barber being Trey Barber. If uh, they're a good team without him, but they're they're maybe like a 32 or 33 team, so um, I'm confused and uh, not sure how to handle them on, on my ballot. Maybe his microphone wasn't working for the recording. Ryan, yeah, I mean it, it's the same thing that everybody said, right? We know they're good. They won the national championship last year, but what are they? doing right now well we're completely unsure you know very much and so you can only do what you see on the floor and they just don't seem to be right yeah something's off that's for sure i agree um by the way i'm not even voting for him i haven't for several weeks um ryan you're dubious sir and this isn't fair again because we know they're a good team but my dubious is oswego um you know, they just haven't played anybody outside of the case game, which they lost. And, um, you know, they, they've had some closer conference games than you would expect from a team that's ranked as highly as they are. Um, and and so I'm, I'm just a little dubious. Not that I think they're a terrible team, but just where they're ranked is, is maybe a, a bit high. Yeah, I've been thir- I was 13 on Oswego on my ballot. Which, which obviously is much lower than than the rest of the poll, which has them five. I think Oswego yep. is a really good team, but I also I have I have the sure. concern about the schedule and the fact that the Case Western game was not very close, if I recall right. The game in Las Vegas was a blowout, and so now yep. you look at where Case is, and you know we saw Case get swept on the Chicago Washu trip, so now you bump Case down your ballot. 
And then to me, I say to myself, well, I can't put Oswego ahead of Case. So it's like kind of this, you know, they're tied together thing for me a little bit, whether that's right or wrong. And I think they're a good team, but is Oswego better than these teams we're debating at 22 or 19 or 20? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, they've slid down my ballot to me for, for similar reasons. Just a little bit unsure about the schedule. Some of these really close games in conference that we kind of expect them to dominate. Um, I, I think they're a really good team. They haven't slid that far down my ballot. But um, yeah, I'm I'm waiting for them to maybe make a bigger statement than they have so far. Yeah, you guys bring up some valid points. Uh, I don't put as much stock into the blowout, per se, against Case, to be honest with you. Uh, having watched it in front of me, I, I think there were a lot of games that just had funky endings. And, and listen, I thought Oswego played well. Case just shot the lights out of the damn building. And I don't take stock in conference games that are close because conference opponents know you pretty well. I finally think New Paltz showed up. I think that's the New Paltz team I've been expecting, to be completely honest. Sure. The blowout earlier in the season kind of surprised me. But, no, valid points. All right, dubious on your part, Mr. Uh, Quillman. Okay, I bring this one up as a guy that attended St. Germain High School and Brother Ice High School. So I'm Catholic, but but my dubious is Catholic. <laughs> um, and I just think number 15 is too high. I think your definition of dubious, Dave, was like, do we are they getting too high that we need to pause and talk about it? So I'm pausing and talking about it. Um, their, their SOS and Massey is 205. They've won 12 games in a row, but 10 of those 12 are, are teams that Massey has 100 or lower. They lost a home game. I think it was a home game to Hood. Maybe someone could check me on that. They lost to Hood. And uh, I think they're a very good team. Um, I think Massey has them number 25, and that feels closer to me being accurate than where than where our poll does. So I think they've floated up a little bit too high at 15. But then again, I've said 100 times this year that 15 is the same as 25 in my ballot. So it's a very soft, very soft dubious. I'll leave it to yes. so, Go ahead, Ryan. I think what happened is we knew coming in they had a good team, right? They had they had Sechi the transfer coming in and that, that they got ranked relatively high in the preseason, maybe a little higher than they should have. And then the voters were largely just watching the record, right? And bouncing them up because they were doing well. Uh, if you watch some of those games, they were not playing particularly well at the beginning of the year. The odd thing is I do think they're playing now the way I expected at the beginning. And so they probably should be in the 20 to 25 range now, given the way they're playing, but but perhaps some of the voters haven't had a chance to watch them as closely and they've just sort of floated up a little bit higher than than where they should be. But I think the team right now is what we expected them to be. And, uh, and, and maybe they should be just towards the bottom of the pole instead of in the middle. Matt, any follow-up? I have them basically in the middle, a number 13. Um, yeah, I agree on maybe some of the, the schedule concerns. Uh, the computers like them a fair bit. So I don't think anywhere like kind of in the 10 to 25 range. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's kind of all even almost. So anywhere someone's going to have in there for Catholic, I think is fine with me. I've seen them in person uh, against my Gophers. I know that score looks like it was not a game, to be completely honest. Catholic shot the lights out of the building over 60% in the second half, and it was their bench that made that a blowout. That was a 20-point game for the most part with the starters. Uh, and that's actually, to be honest, that Goucher is more competitive than they used to be. Um, but I actually I wasn't blown away by Catholic, but I was impressed. Uh, I do have them rising a little high at 16. I'm a little uncomfortable with them that high. But, Pat, Bob, to your point, 15 to 25, I could throw up in the air and, and have them fall anywhere, and I'm not going to be sure. able to argue my way out of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
So I may have them high just because I've floated them, to be honest. I like the pieces. I actually impressed with their transfer that he's not trying to take over. He has fit into their system, which actually surprised me. Um, and Halfmeister, who's supposed to be their leading scorer, I saw him do nothing, which told me more about the rest of their team than it told me about him. I agree. I think they're. I'm a little nervous with them where they are, but man, they they've got some nice pieces. They could be a scary team in the tournament. But then again, as we said at the beginning, there's probably 40 teams that could be scary teams uh, in the tournament. Uh, but I like the choice, Bob. I, I do. Um, all right, so that's our dubious selections. We'll now now go into our deep dive group, um, and, and and deep dive basically is one that we feel um, maybe isn't getting enough attention or should get some attention or just wants to be brought up as a conversational piece because they're not getting anything. But, man, we've certainly thought about them on our ballots. Uh, Ryan, we'll now start with you, sir. We'll let you have the floor to start things off on the deep dive. So I've traditionally gone with this, the highest team in my estimation that no one is voting for. Um, And for me this week, that was Connecticut College um, out of the NESCAC. They have not had a great schedule. Um, the best teams that they've played, they've they've generally lost to, right? They lost to Keene, they lost to NYU, they lost uh, to Trinity. Uh, they have a couple others in there, and at Albertus Magnus, one in overtime, and at Utica, which aren't terrible, but aren't fantastic. Um, but they do have the win over Tufts. They have uh, Murray down low, who's, who's a really, you know, be in contention for All-American as, as a post player, um, they play this weird zone that teams seem to have a lot of trouble with. Um, and I'm looking at it, right? So they lost to NYU by, I, I don't know, five points maybe. And I'm thinking about the team they have, what they've put up, and I'm looking at NYU's schedule. And I can't see that Connecticut College, even playing NYU schedule, would be all that. I wouldn't expect different results that much, right? Like, I feel like they're not that far off from what we think NYU is right now. Um, it's just perhaps they didn't have any of the sort of flashy wins or, or anything like that, but it's a really strong NESCAG team. They're veteran, good coaching, and, and maybe a style that's hard to play against. So not that I'm saying they're going to be world beaters, but I, I suspect that they have a pretty good schedule the rest of the way. They could very easily be the two or the one seed in the NESCAG tournament. I think we'll see them in March and, and they're going to be a really tough out. Anybody yeah, want to for, for, go ahead? Bob. Yeah, for I, I I like Connecticut College. I've almost voted for them a couple times and haven't quite pulled the the trigger. But they're five and one in the NESCAC in February. You know they're they're at the near the top of the NESCAC standings. They beat Tufts. Um, I think they're a good team. They're to me they're they're right in the mix of that twenty two to thirty mishmash, and uh, I think that's a really really good one for deep dive. Mishmash. That might be our new our new segment. Yeah, uh, hashtag mishmash. Yeah, we add a fourth one here. Name your mishmash teams. Uh, I like it. Matt, any uh, follow up? Yeah, for me, they're definitely in that twenty five to thirty five range. I think Ryan's right there in a good position to maybe make the tournament in March. And they are a team that, like I said, could be off the radar coming into the tournament and maybe beat a team or two. So I think they will be an interesting team. How do they finish NESCAC play NESCAC tournament? That's always a tough test, but a team like Connecticut college, I think maybe could do well in March having not really been on the national radar. And I'll freely admit, I'm maybe not giving them enough attention, um, but it's because I'm, I'm just buried with every other team. Uh, I'm going to, I'm definitely reevaluating the whole ballot ballot. I've got a, a much more free time this weekend uh, and hope to go deep dive and into it as much as my family would like to throw things at me. Um, deep dive. Next one up. Uh, Matt Snyder. Give it to me. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Rowan on a deep dive. Now, they are getting votes, so this, this is not quite as deep as Ryan likes to dive. Um, but their team, I don't think, has made the poll all season. And But they, for me, they've re- they've been on the fringe, and I've had them in a couple times, out a couple times. They've played a really tough schedule. Uh, Bob said he likes to look at Massey's strength of schedule. I do, too. I think they're number 20 overall in Massey's schedule. Uh, they have, I think, nine wins inside the Massey top 100. That's like the same as John Carroll has or uh, UW Platteville has. So I think they have good wins that are rankable. They've taken a few losses. So I definitely understand voters maybe being hesitant about that. Um, but they're not really bad losses. They played so many of these kind of what I'll call like top 100 type games that these are games you play so many of them, you're going to lose a handful of them. And I think it, that makes the team like Rowan dangerous. And for me, hanging on right there and kind of like that that mishmash zone, the 23 to kind of 27 zone. Uh, and I, I like Rowan as a team going forward. I'm in the same place on, on Rowan. Like they're, I'm just about to pull the trigger and get them back on my ballot. They're tied for the lead in the NJAC here as we enter February. They're 10 and four in the league. Um, they've, they've, they've lost what, six or five games at I this think. point, playing well, strong schedule, Probably a team that that for me um, gets back in in my ballot this week. Yeah, I I'd say I mean I like Rowan from the beginning. I think I had him up in the high teens at some point early in the year. Um, I voted for them this week. Um, so this is one I compare to like Oswego, right? So they're both state schools. They've got a lot of these athletic interchangeable guys. Um, Oswego I think plays a lot more defense than Rowan does, but. Um, you know, you swap those schedules out, and I doubt the records would be a whole lot different. I think maybe Rowan's dropped a game or two more than you'd expect Oswego to with that with that schedule. But you know, uh, I think they're very comparable teams, and yet on the poll, they're they're very far apart, right? You know, Rowan for me, you know, coaching change. I think I just put him on the back burner. I, I wanted to see, and the NJAC really hasn't shown me much this season. I'm not trying to knock the NJAC; it's just been a mess. Um, so I guess maybe I've just been on a pause on Rowan and I haven't taken him as seriously and, and maybe I should. Uh, I think that coach, I also evaluated that coaching change as being a significant one. I thought what he had done had really been a big factor. Um, and I maybe have dismissed what they were going to do moving forward. I'll, I'm certainly going to reevaluate them moving forward. Uh, just for the folks out there who don't understand, I use you guys to understand who I'm missing and I go reevaluate later. Uh, <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, one more deep dive left and it goes to Mr. Quillman, sir. Who do you got? Yeah, first of all, apologies to uh, to Harden Simmons that almost was going to be my deep dive. To But but last night uh, they dropped a game at Ozarks. Ozarks is near the bottom of the standings in the ASC. I know road games are super nasty, but uh, I, I shifted. I jumped off the Harden Simmons deep dive bus today. So sorry to those guys. And I'm going to go back on to this one. If Franklin and Marshall is a team that uh, has zero top 25 votes, I'm not saying they should have any. Massey has them 65. So this is a legit, like sometimes I pull scams with these deep dives. This is a legit deep dive, but we all like the Centennial Conference and know that it's a really good league. Well, they are in a three-way tie for the Centennial lead right now. They swept Gettysburg. I, th- I think we all like Gettysburg and think that they're a team that's on the rise and playing well. Uh, they beat Swarthmore, and I know that Swarthmore isn't having the season that we all expected at the beginning, but 16-4, and 11-2 for Franklin and Marshall at this point. I, I think they're a team to watch, and they may be a couple wins away from us thinking about voting for them. So I, I think that's a pretty fair deep dive, just a team for voters to, to keep an eye on. Who wants to go first? I don't know. So 
a little behind the scenes there is that that Dave requested uh, talk about jinxes. Dave requested that they be added to our our email that we get as top twenty five voters this week. I did. He thought that maybe they deserve consideration on Wednesday morning. Within like twenty minutes, they lost. Uh, no, no, no. It was about um, five they, hours. About five hours. Hold on, guys. I I just lost. Hang on, Ryan. Ryan, hold on. Uh, for whatever reason, we lost the signal from all of you. So bear with me while I get it back. Um, I, th- maybe the system didn't want to hear you guys talking about um, badly uh, about these guys. So hold on, folks. I just have to literally call these guys back in on the Zoom call, and we'll get them in pretty quick as soon as I get the uh, stuff punched in. Apologies for the delay here. I've never seen this happen before. Um, that should get us in initially. And it should populate everything automatically. It didn't. Well, that's going to take one more step. Just give me a second. I've never had this happen. Uh, I granted permission. Did I not? It's not let. Well, this is strange. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. I'm, I'm going to figure out why in the world we got dumped out of, of YouTube there. Uh, we'll get back because this is a great conversation because I'm actually curious on everybody's take on uh, the Centennial Conference in general. We'll be back in just a moment. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. everybody uh strange occurrences there as uh we lost the boys there for a second on our our connections we're right back at it we were in the middle of talking about uh um franklin and marshall um being a deep dive for bob he just got finished talking about him ryan had just started to talk about that i had just said behind the scenes that we had to add them to our top 25 information to send out to voters and within a few hours they lost their assignments ryan that's right about where we dropped out so I'll, i'll tee it up there you can you can begin from there yeah, so this is a good team, especially if you watch them play Gettysburg. They clearly have their number this year. Um, but there's a couple. This is actually a really good example for some of the ways that we can look at at comparing opponents, um, right? So, like, they lost at Mary Washington, which is a team that I would put somewhere like 25 to 30-ish range, um, the way that they're playing right now. And that was, uh, what, 15, 16-point loss. They also lost at Washington and Lee, which I'd kind of put in the maybe around 50 Right. And so, but that was a close game on the road. And and to me, that feels like right kind of where Washington or where Franklin and Marshall needs to be right somewhere 35 to 50, maybe um, they, they really need to get some win uh, besides Gettysburg. Obviously Swarthmore was big, but it looks less and less big as the season goes along. Uh, I, I think it's a strong team, but obviously losing to Ursinus uh, was, was not helpful in their, <laughs> in their task. No, it wasn't Matt, your thoughts before I'll jump in. Yeah, uh, Franklin and Marshall is a team that really only recently went on my radar, which is kind of my watch list uh, for my top 25 ballot process. 
And I was, I was interested in them because they had started to pop up on my like at large bid pool C type, um, type data. Like they might be a team in that mix. Um, which, but it was interesting that until this Ursinus loss, I don't really feel like they had taken a really bad loss on the season. Um, so this was kind of maybe the first one that made me take a little bit of a step back and say, okay, well, maybe not quite on Franklin and Marshall. But I, I agree as a team that's kind of coming up, um, you know, Franklin and Marshall and Gettysburg have been playing really well recently. I think it's just interesting that we have some new blood up at the top of the mix for the Centennial Conference for so long. It's been that Johns Hopkins and Swarthmore mix and, and Hopkins is still in that mix right now, but I like to see these other two teams right up there at the top as well. Um, Bob apparently was picking on the Mid-Atlantic region, by the way, with his picks. I noticed that just for the record. Um, well, well, you know, everyone calls me, you know, a, a Midwest guy. So I try to come on here and not be a Midwest guy on occasion. Well, I mean, on you could occasion. go ahead and pick one of your Midwest teams for one of these slots. But I, I kid, I kid. Um, yeah, I mean, Franklin Marshall, I've seen him in person. Really good team. A missed opportunity with the sign. they would be a game clear of Hopkins and Gettysburg right now for first place in that conference. Uh, and three games clear of Swarthmore for first place and in control because as you said they got the sweep over Gettysburg and of course Gettysburg's got a sweet o- sweep over Hopkins excuse me Hopkins and FNM still to play their final uh game of the regular season in the conference and so that's got that's going to have a lot riding on it as you can imagine I think they're a really talented team that just keeps missing completing games that need they need to complete which is the only pause I have with them. But I put them, I said they got to go on the radar because as I'm evaluating Hopkins and I'm evaluating Gettysburg getting ready for that game, I'm staring at FM going, why in the world am I not putting them on my radar? Because they're doing better than all these guys. And at the time, they, they were tied with Hopkins for first place in the conference. So um, I would argue, though, Bob, if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to deep dive on FM, you got to deep dive on Gettysburg. I know FM's beaten them twice, but Gettysburg with the two wins over That's Hopkins. Actually, that was. That was going to be my, this is how FNM came to be is I, Gettysburg was going to be my deep dive until I realized they got swept by Franklin and Marshall and that Franklin and Marshall was so I'm with you. I just got yeah. in a deep dive death spiral. No. And that's the thing. And that's why I think it's fascinating. And no, I love the fact the Centennial Conference is wide open right now. Swarthmore, I think a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I think they're a good team with a couple good talented players, but they are not as deep as they normally are. Hopkins is figuring things out with Ryan Kane. It's almost to the scary side of that. Uh, FNM's talented, and we had BJ Dunn on earlier. That's a team that I've watched in front of me grow from a team that lost to Muskegon in the opening game of the regular season to not being that team whatsoever. There's a guy starting that Muskegon game who's not even seeing minutes now for that Gettysburg squad. The Centennial race is one of the more fascinating, along with the ARC, the ODAC, and the UAA. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. But great topics, guys, across the board. Uh, Bob, I don't know if you saw the uh, comment from our esteemed colleague, Jim Haney, who said the Hopkins-Gettysburg game was a CCIW battle in Pennsylvania. Oh, boy, that means it was like a a wrestling match, basically, right? It wasn't (laughs) brutally bad, but it definitely had its physicality. I thought their officials actually, they didn't call a ton of fouls. They called them when they needed needed to be called. I actually appreciated their effort, but uh, I I got a kick out of that one, (laughs) to say the least. Shout out to Jimbo. Yeah, Jim was great. He showed up to that game. It was fun to see him, and and it's great to have him. Actually, I just saw a D3 ticker said that uh, his conversation with us on Hoopsville was their seventh most popular story this week. So I appreciate Ticker putting putting that out there. Gentlemen, I got to run. Sorry for the uh, technical glitch there. I really appreciate the content. It was awesome. Final last thoughts from you guys heading into what is going to be another awesome weekend and week of Division III basketball. Bob, go ahead and start. 
Uh, regional ranking number one, the alphabetical one, is uh, is Tuesday. So you mean the BS one? Up. I'm sorry. Yes, the alphabetical yes. one. Yes. <laughs> let's gear up for that thing on Tuesday. That starts a real exciting stretch for us. So uh, looking forward to that. Quick shout out. Bob had a uh, behind the scenes. He talked to former chairs or former members on your QCAST right. release today. Bad timing, sir. I mean, on my part, bad timing on my part. Um, and I, there was a quote I saw tweeted out about we put them in order and then we alphabetize them for the rankings. Yeah, we don't need to dive in. Yeah, Matt, Matt made a good point that like, you know, you really do have to have an order and then you got to like blow up your order and then and then alphabetize. I think when it was order. touched so, on last year, I don't think it was fully understood until yeah. now that, yeah, that's what they do. Ryan, your thoughts. You don't actually have to have an order. You just have to know the last two teams, right? So that's the um, truth. But yeah, so I, I we're gearing up. We got tons of huge games. Every team that I brought up today has big games this weekend or the weekend after, right? Like this is where we're going to see what happens where you go from number one seed in your conference tournament to number six, right? That's two weekends difference can be, can be huge. And, uh, you know, just trying to get every, every single game in and, uh, oh, I'm going to make it up to uh, NYU to see the new place next Friday night for the Case Western game. So should be if fun. anyone is around, I will be there for both the men's and the women's games uh, in New York. Should next be fun. Friday, so excited about that. Good stuff. Matt? Yeah, just fun time of the year with the regional rankings uh, on Monday morning's episode of D3 Datacast. We're going to try to predict all 10 regions, so we'll see how many of those we get right. But this is the fun time of the year because, Dave, even you will admit we're allowed to talk about Pool C oh, yeah, now we can. Go in ahead. February. Yeah. yeah, we're fine. So yeah. awesome time of year. Just love D3 basketball, all the big games that we're going to see. This time of year always stinks up on me. I sit there going, no, I don't want to talk Pool C. I'll get emails. I'm like, I'm not talking at large yet, man. We don't have time. And all of a sudden, I'll look at the calendar and go, oh, it's time. Yeah, sneaks up on me every year. Hey, guys, great stuff. Really appreciate it. We'll catch up with you and the other uh, data guys down the road, or the pundits, I should say, down the road. Take care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. Very soon. Yes, very soon. I appreciate uh, uh, Bob Quillman, Ryan Scott, and Matt Snyder joining me on that segment. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll jump to the women's pundits. Ryan Scott said real soon. He's right. It's Scott Peterson and Ryan Scott joining us on the show. Talk about who they have for their best women's teams coming up right here on the Hoopsville Marathon. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC1927 on social media. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division three school, you primarily a student-athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you.
It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal training and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. The marathon continues as we're going to come closer and closer here to our sixth hour. Um, and we still have the committee chairs to talk to. And I do, I did promise the Cabrini segment that will be coming up. Uh, if you've got questions for us, you can always contact us via the social medias, email, Facebook, and YouTube on there. Uh, we're still streaming on YouTube or on Facebook, I'm happy to say. So that's a good sign. Uh, of course, we're on YouTube as well. Uh, welcome to join us any way you choose. Let's switch gears. We're going to talk women's top 25 now, and our pundits joining us. Uh, one will look familiar. We just had him on. It's Ryan Scott joining us on the show. Scott Peterson as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us to talk women's basketball because this is uh, the more fun uh, part of the show sometimes is when we get to dive in about these teams uh, and make predictions and, and conversation and all that. Um, first and foremost, always good basketball on the women's side. Scott, uh, it doesn't get old, does it? No, it doesn't. And every night there are games with tremendous amounts of impacts. Makes it a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, that's that that last part being, I think, the key is uh, there's huge impacts in a lot of games. Ryan, uh, you, you've been tweeting out both your ballots for quite some time, much to the enjoyment of many of us. Uh, you really are diving in deep. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I think this is my third season voting in the women's poll, so it's. I feel like I'm finally up to speed to be able to be on this this show with the uh, the likes of Scott, who definitely has has a better knowledge of of the women's game, but really enjoying watching. And I, I think the biggest thing, the development in on Division Three women, has just been how competitive things are getting. Right? It used to be there were ten or twelve teams that just sort of ran over everybody, and uh, you know, they'd all be undefeated coming into the tournament. You'd see who was left standing. And that's just not the case anymore. We might have, you know, one or two of those teams. But uh, for the most part, you got really competitive basketball um, and and stepping up to the kind of parity that we've seen from the men in recent years. So, yeah, well said. Absolutely agree. Uh, and even that even there's a debate at the top, I think, and in, in terms of who's the best teams in the country. I think some would say it's obviously NYU and there's voters who clearly feel otherwise. Um, let's jump right in uh, to debatables. Uh, and we'll go left to right as we always do. Uh, Scott, you'll get the first crack at this one. Who is your debatable team of the week? My debatable is DePauw. Um, our various systems, which obviously have different inputs, all kind of agree on DePauw. Uh, the poll has them 38th or 13th in the others receiving votes. Massey has them 33rd, and efficiency ratings have them 35th. DePa has, I think, a pretty good body of wins. They beat Oshkosh. I don't know if Oshkosh was at their best when DePa beat them, but they've also beat Ohio Wesleyan, Oberlin, and Wittenberg twice, and their losses are generally to very good teams. They've lost to Transylvania, Milliken, and Warburg. They have lost to WashU and Denison, who have had ups ups and downs throughout the year. And it's probably those two losses that are really holding DePa back in a lot of the ranking and rating systems. I think they're a big team that rebounds well. They seem to be trending up. Um, and so I would not be surprised to see them sneaking onto a few more top 25 ballots. You know, it's a well-coached team too, Ryan. Yeah, I, mean, I got to talk to Chris Huffman, the coach, at the beginning of, of the year for one of the profiles that I did for Around the Nation. And she talked about they lost two big seniors from last year, one on the offensive side, one on the defensive side. And not just replacing output, but leadership and learning how to win. They had a really tough schedule out of the gate. Although I do think their first game against Transy, that still might be, is that the closest Transylvania's been all year? It was a 10-point game. Um, you know, they're they're strong. And I wasn't sure what they do coming through this conference because they, you know, it's it's gotten much tougher with Ohio Wesleyan and, and Wittenberg playing really well. And even some of the teams slightly below them have, have you know, the overall has been really much improved. And so, um, you know, good to see them coming along. And, and I think that they're one of those teams that's just going to get better and better. And it's whether they can get up to that top 25 level, you know, in the next two or three weeks here to see whether they can make a, a bigger splash. Looks like second closest. Just two games later, Wisconsin Lutheran only lost by six to Transylvania. Second closest, right? Still, yeah. No, speaks volumes for where they are. Um, Ryan, who's your debatable? Um, let me make sure I'm getting these in the right category, right? So my debatable, <laughs> I'm going with Harden Simmons. Um, I never know where to put them. Like this is clearly a very good team. Um, they always have good results. They're you know when they're losing, it's generally to good teams. When they're they're playing well, um, I think they're they're a little deeper than they've been the last couple of years. Um, but they also you know being in Texas, it's harder to get the games that that are going to really tell you something. Um, and so you know they did get one like the Emory game where they would have had a chance to make a statement and they weren't able to win. 
Um, and and it's more I'm interested in in Scott's view because I could watch the games. Um, and I think that's one of those teams that that looks really good, but you don't quite know how they're going to do when they step up in competition, <clears throat> right? Yeah, I think I feel similarly. We don't have a whole lot of really good data when we're trying to say where do you slot in the top twenty five. Really, it's their games against Trinity, Emory, and Mary Harden Baylor that we're looking at, and they haven't done that great in those games. Um, losing two of them, the win over Trinity was pretty narrow, only a four point win. All the other stats were really narrow. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head where all of those three games were. I think they went toe to toe with Mary Harden Baylor. So I think they're very similar quality teams. I think they probably deserve to be a top 20 team, but I don't really have a feel for, are they 14th or are they 26th? Right. And it's one of those that it seems like our voters have just consistently stuck them in the middle of the poll, regardless of what happens. Um, and and I'm just, I'm not always sure why that is. And, um, you know, I, I think they deserve to be right in and around there, but it feels like they've gotten, they're one of those that, you know, they people just automatically put in, even though we don't have all the data for that. There are some stronger teams around them that I think we're used to. Like McMurray is better. Uh, did yeah. they play Texas Lutheran? Looks like they haven't. Um, but maybe McMurray is the only one jumping out. Uh, Cal, they played Cal Lutheran. They beat them. Both of those teams are stronger than past years. So I think there's enough there to make a case for, you know, ah, I've seen them play and they have some good wins to to keep them ranked there. And they're not losing. You know, other teams do lose road conference games and they haven't. Yeah, interesting. Um, by the way, gives me a chance talking about Southern teams. Ra- most random um, court storming of the year may have taken place last night. Um, I double checked the two opponents to try and understand what I was watching. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. Wait, I, I Scott- used to like have comments about court storming, but I'm all for fans having a ton of fun. It doesn't matter if you were favored at your home court. Have a good time with your fans mm. um, as long as it's not affecting anything else. After somebody got injured in a D1 game, I'm not so keen on it anymore. Well, that's very, a different case. They're very close <laughs> together, Dave. They're, that's a rivalry. That's a geographic oh, I get rivalry. It. That's it why just, the court storming was <laughs> I get it. I just was looking to figure out if I had missed that somebody was ranked and not ranked and all that jazz. Um, <laughs> just, moving on. Just make sure you don't run over an All-American while you're running on <laughs> that, that was my point. Like, that's my concern. Um all right, Ryan. Uh, I think we so we got our two debatables. We slide to dubious now, so Ryan will get the the first crack at this one. Um, I'm curious who your dubious team is, sir. So this is more that I just I don't understand. I've not been huge on DeSales over the last couple. Wow, of we're years. picking on DeSales um, in both panels, by the way. Just for the record, <laughs> we are. I felt bad about that, but I didn't. BJ, don't hate me. I didn't well, choose these. Else. So, um, this is clearly a really good team, right? That's what I've been. Maybe put them in that Harden-Simmons category. You can watch them play. You know they're really good. You know, their margin of victory over the last four years has been like 25 points a game. Um, but they don't always have those those big wins. They're not playing the, a super strong schedule. I know he schedules as many as he can. Um, but when it comes tournament time, right, they're, they're not always able to keep up. Their offense isn't maybe quite as strong as some of those top teams. Um, and the defense doesn't work as well when the other teams are really, really good. And I was just noticing both their points per game offensively and defensively are down three or four points this year. And the big one, their rebounding margin is way down. They were in double digits last year, and they're like at three, three and a half right now. And so those are some signs for me that I wasn't super high on them last year, and maybe they've taken a slight step back this year. And I'm I'm a little dubious about how quickly they get thrown into the poll and, and voted up. 
Scott, any thoughts? I was surprised to see them diverge so much Massey to efficiency because I think both those systems have a lot of similar inputs around scoring and defense and margin of victory, but they're 34th in Massey and 7th in efficiency. And it's, it's it, I have similar thoughts, again, to you. Their defense is great. Uh, it's gonna. It means they travel well. You know, they always kind of get off the bus, but that offense can hold them back. Which I mean, there's been so many games this year where they're closer down at half to some not very good teams, and they usually smoke them in the second half. But it's still not what you're used to seeing from a top ten or fifteen team. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's valid points there. What's interesting is they could be looking at a second weekend host. If things fall in the in the right way for them, just because of where they could be sitting in terms of a record and all that jazz, and the question becomes: When you get to the NCAA tournament, can you afford to be playing around in the first half and have to storm back in the second, or will it be over by halftime because you put yourself in such a deep hole against a really talented team? So, yeah, I, interesting thoughts. And I, I sometimes think that teams that have an an outstanding skill it looks dominant during the regular season and then you just face a different class of team every night in the ncaa tournament yeah and maybe you're not used to well this skill isn't quite that dominant anymore and it shows a lot of your flaws bigger than they have all year it's an interesting point yeah i mean you just look at their tournament game last year right they scored about the same amount of points that they would normally be scoring in a game but they allowed 25 or 30 more to a mary washington team uh, because it's a good team Right. And, and, you know, if they're, you're not able to score to keep up with those teams, it, it's hard to win. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Well, Fred Richter is a fascinating coach. We'll see what, what they materialize in the next week. He doesn't know how to schedule, though. He's very good at that. Oh, absolutely. And and with a little bit freer schedule now, he can pick up a few extras, too. You know? Yeah. We, that's a little joke from behind the scenes that Ryan and I were joking about in the early part of the season. Uh, Scott, who is your dubious? It's Emery. So Emory is 12th in the poll. Their biggest wins are Washington Lee, Harden Simmons, and Wash U. And they've lost to Newport, Chicago, and NYU. So only three losses. At least two of those are to very, very good teams. And Chicago's a very solid team. But their biggest wins, they've only squeaked by in those. Um, And it just feels more like a low teens type of team than a high teens type of team. I just don't see either the dominance or the consistency to push them quite into the, the high teens. I mean, I don't know. I'm one of the reasons that they're up as high as they are. Cause I've been really high on them. I think that the schedule has been really good. And even in some of the losses, I thought that they were, you know, I thought they played really well against Christopher Newport. Um, but yeah, getting into conference play, the Chicago game gave me a little pause watching that. And then they just did not perform the way I expected against NYU, right? They were just not in that game even remotely. Um, and so I'm definitely having to reevaluate where they are. And I suspect um, a, a number of other voters who are voting them pretty high are doing that as well. Um, you know, wanting to reward them playing well against good teams, uh, even in a loss. But um, yeah, I mean, they're just in conference, not performing at the same level. And maybe it's teams who are a little more familiar with the system or, you know, able to exploit the weaknesses a little better than some of the non-conference opponents, but it's one that I'm I'm having being forced to have kind of a change of opinion on. Yeah, good point. I like I like these so far, guys. These are good choices. Uh, we'll change to deep dive now. And Scott, I'm always interested in what your deep dive choice is. So my deep dive is Webster. I think I like picking on the low strength of schedule teams, um, but I think there's a case to be made for Webster. They're 
21st in Massey, 42nd in efficiency, and number four, others receiving votes in the top 25 poll. But, I mean, if you look, so they haven't lost, um, which most teams lose, and there's absolutely value in that. But if you look at their wins, there's nothing that you could put on the line of any other team that we've talked about. Their best win is probably Augustana, who continues to fade. Center's not a top 100 team. Yeah, but I'm saying it's 16 and 14. I mean, at least it was a team that's got a, a pretty stout record. I mean, I think Augustana is a much better team than okay. Center. So uh, looking a little bit deeper than the record, but there's probably not a large difference between them. And um, it's just hard to find a team that hasn't even played a top team so that we can kind of have some idea. Like Harden Simmons has a couple results, right? Um, DeSales has a couple results where win or lose, you can kind of see what do those stats look like. But Webster's, there's nothing. And so it's it's hard for you to know. And what I always say about the low strength of schedule teams is we're not saying that they're bad. We're just saying it's harder to know about them right. and evaluate them. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't... I don't think it's incorrect to put them in the top 25, especially if you've watched them play um, and think that they're a top 25 team. But it's just so hard for us to know when, like, even in the SLIAC, you can schedule somebody at a conference. You know, you can go play Dubuque or you can play um, St. Norbert. um, That would give us a better idea of what team that you are. I guess Augustan is kind of in that bucket. So that's close. Well, listen, I had Webster on the show earlier. And I kind of tried to feel out the the scheduling mentality. Um, didn't get much of an answer in terms of you know they've certainly tried to to bolster their resume and sometimes they just aren't getting the the nibbles and I think that comes down to we saw this and I and not to try and compare to Yeshiva on the men's side, but you know we went through a stretch there where Yeshiva couldn't seem to pick up any opponents because opponents were making excuses for not playing them. I don't know if that's the case here. The Gorlocks in the last couple of years have certainly shown they can go top with some of the best teams in the country when it gets to the NCAA tournament. They lost to Mary yep. Harden-Baylor two years ago three in, by three in the first round, and they were toe-for-toe with Whitewater until the fourth quarter when, when the Warhawks just finally started hitting some shots. Um, but I agree. I mean, it's hard to evaluate. Uh, Ryan, any other thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I mean, other than it doesn't really benefit some of those good teams in the Midwest to schedule a Webster, even if they're a good team. Just but numbers wise, right? Because that's a yeah, team unfortunately, that could beat yeah. you, and your SOS is likely taking a hit, right? That conference is so lowly mm-hmm. rated. Well, you know, like and getting worse. It, it, what's the benefit there other than just playing a good team? You know, like I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't schedule them. I'm just saying it's it's not difficult to make an argument. You know that that Webster's not going to improve your record if that's what you're looking to do. Yeah, and I remember last year when Jason Pruitt was on the show when he coached Laverne. He said, "Hey." The odds that the Skyak gets a second bid are so low. Why am I going to use a ton of my budget to try to incrementally improve my resume? So, like, I'm definitely not faulting Webster either, but they should also not be surprised if they end up seated like a three or a four in the opening weekend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which they have been. Yeah. Um, Ryan, who's your deep dive? Um, my deep dive I'm going with, and this is more like a question that I'm trying to figure out. So I'm picking Springfield as my deep dive. Yeah, I like this choice. Um, so Smith has been getting votes pretty consistently all year, and we know Smith is pretty good. I haven't been voting for them, but what I can't figure out is I feel like Springfield has a pretty near identical record 
to Smith, right? They've split with each other. One of those was a double overtime game. Their wins are all relatively similar. They've all they've lost to good teams. Like I just can't figure out why almost everyone is voting for Smith at some point, and no one is voting for Springfield. Um, because I, I think this is a good team that's put up a good resume and they they've proven just as much as Smith has, other than they weren't in the final four last year. It's a it's a that's why I love this pick. Uh you and and the new <laughs> Mac in general, we had MIT on earlier, is just a fascinating conference right now. But Springfield, when you said that, I went and looked him up and went, hold on. Yeah, why? What are we doing? This is this is interesting. Scott, any thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, Smith graduated a lot. Um, the transfer of Sophia Rosa definitely bolstered the team. Sure. But if you're unsure about a team, I'd be much more apt to hitch my horse to a team with the pedigree of Smith than one like Springfield. And so I think it makes it easier to make the case for Smith than for Springfield. You can look at the MIT results, Smith beat him by 28, Springfield beat him by seven. Um, Worst loss, Smith lost to uh, Dartmouth by five, Dickinson by three, Springfield by two. Springfield lost to Bowdoin by 27, Rhode Island College by 13. Both probably better than any any team that Smith has even played. But still, they weren't terribly competitive in either of those. And I also don't want to lean too hard on margin of victory because of difference in play style. And you don't know how much a team ran up the score or didn't run up the score late late in the game. But it just, I think there's enough there of why we're ranking Smith where they are. But they might be, you know, Smith's, I don't know what they are in the poll, but Springfield is not even receiving votes. They're probably closer than they are. Right. Yeah. And that was more of my deep breath. Like, I've just... I've had them ranked in my list. I haven't voted for either of them in quite a while, but like I've had them pretty close together, but I felt like Springfield, you know, I watched the the double overtime game and it, you know, it seemed like Springfield was a little bit better. Um, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, but I was like, these, these are way more even than they seem to be in the poll. And that's the fascination about the poll, right? You, you, you see something you're like, Oh, okay. I know what to expect. You go into the game and you watch you're like, that's not what I expected. So yeah, that's interesting. Good choices, to say the least. Uh, guys, really appreciate your time. Uh, I know there's others behind the scene. Riley, he's actually traveling this weekend. Couldn't join us. Uh, Riley's getting more games in in a, in a year than Ryan and I will sometimes do in five. Um, he's showing off a little bit, to be honest. Um, but uh, And Gordon couldn't make it either, but I know they're always part of this, and I appreciate it. Uh, any final takes on things, gentlemen, Before as we head into another great-looking weekend and, and fin- another great week as we head into the final month of the regular season? Ryan, uh, we'll start with you. Uh, no, I mean, really looking forward to regional rankings coming out, seeing how this all plays out. I'll give the plug for the next Around the Nation. I've been doing interviews pretty much nonstop all week to look at uh, sort of where we are in terms of broadcasting and paywalls and what to expect in the future as as schools try to to fill gaps in budgets and whatever else. So that'll be coming next week sometime. And as I mentioned um, previously, if anyone wasn't watching, I'll be at NYU next Friday night for the, the men's and women's games in person and would love to talk to anybody who might be there. Perfect pitch. Um, Scott, any final thoughts? Well, as a Hope alum, Hope is where my rooting interest lies, Hope in the MIAA, but I've kind of been taking my own advice and using the stats to really get into other games and look at them through a different lens. And if, when I see Co playing Loris, 
uh, you know, or Loris playing Warburg, I, I can't grasp the sense of the rivalry. I don't have the history, but I can watch those games with a, a level of importance that I haven't had before. And it's made, it's made the watching fun when you can just, you know, tonight I'll be following Ithaca Skidmore and know like the importance of the game, uh, even from afar and even not knowing the history of the schools and the matchups. To that point, I was a little surprised to, to log into Slack halfway through uh, Gettysburg Hopkins game and see you making comments. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. He's watching this game. It took me a second. Uh, I thought it was pretty neat. I reckon I recognized your voice. I was like, I think that's Dave. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I didn't say mine was because I couldn't remember my color commentator's voice, uh, name. She's got a funky last name. And I'm like, I'm not going to say my name and not say hers. So we'll just go without my name for this for now. <laughs> Gentlemen. As always, great time. Appreciate it. Ryan, especially you, sir, dedicated a full hour there. I really appreciate it. You guys take care, and uh, we'll catch up with you both uh, down the road. Awesome. Thanks. See you. Brian Scott and Scott Peterson. I did that on purpose. Joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline to talk the women's top 25. Really appreciate their time and dedication to all that. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the Cabrini segment we originally slated, and then we're going to do the committee members coming up. So Cabrini, an ode to Cabrini. We'll hear from John Zeke, Marcus Kahn, and Ryan Van Zelst. The former head coach, the former head coach, and the current head coach. And then we'll dive into the committee chairs and talk with them. That's all still ahead on the Hoopsville Marathon. Thanks to a couple donations, our donation tote board has climbed significantly. It's got a ways to go, though. We're five, we're uh, what, 5% of the, no, we're uh, five, we're less than a percent of the way to our ultimate goal. Granted, it's not something we want to achieve today, but we'd love to make a good dent in it. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Back with more after this. The National Association of Basketball Coaches is the nation's premier professional development and advocacy organization for basketball coaches at every level. The NABC strives to serve as the voice for coaches on national issues while advancing the core value of leadership, service, advocacy, education, and inclusion. To learn more about the NABC and to become a member, visit nabc.com and follow the NABC on social media at NABC1927. That's nabc.com or NABC1927 on social media. I used to never really talk. Ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. 
We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. If I lose, I'll respond with respect. If I win, I'll back it up with humility. If I fail, I'll rise up with honor. It's tough for us to put it all on the line. Don't undo my hard work with poor sportsmanship. Respect. It's the name of the game. It's on the Hoopsaw Hotline to talk about the glorious history of Cabrini. It, I knew I was going to do that. Welcome back to Hoopsaw, everybody. I didn't hit the microphone correctly on that one. Uh, Hoopsville Marathon continues to roll along. Appreciate all of you who've donated so far and anybody who will donate in the future. If you uh, don't want to donate via Venmo or some other avenue, currently we don't have uh, PayPal up and running, but we'll try and work on that. Um, contact us you can email me hoopsville d3sports.com and we'll talk about any avenue you'd like to choose on that uh now we're going to talk about cabrini men's basketball primarily though admittedly this is more about um others than just cabrini certainly um the cabrini program as you may or may not know is drawing to a close um as a, as a department in general certainly but also as uh, a men's program that was richly uh, it has a rich history. Now, the women's program certainly had its um, tremendous years, but they're not playing this year. So just we, we took decided to take the time and just talk about the men's program, mainly because John Zeke is such a friend of our shows. Uh, it's got a rich history with our program. So we took the time to talk to him, uh, but he's not the only one. We'll also hear from Marcus Kahn and uh, Ryan Van Zelst about the Cabrini program that is playing its last year as uh, an institution, obviously, with some great athletics. John Zeke was a former athletics director and men's basketball coach. We talked to him yesterday about uh, Cabrini, his memories, and its closing. It's the former men's basketball coach at Cabrini, John Zeke, who has a little bit of a crazy history with this show, by the way. When we reincarnated it the second time, which we have now, this is the second time, part of the run of the second time. I had gone and taken a nap, John. To get ready to do the show, I was working overnights at my TV station, so I needed a nap before we hit the air. I woke up. My phone had been blowing up. This is before phones were cool. My email was blowing up because you had big news. We broke the news on that show about you, unfortunately, would be leaving Cabrini. I don't want to dwell on that. I just appreciate you're back on the show. You have a rich history with this program. Unfortunately, the rich history you had at Cabrini is coming to a close. You guys had some magical runs there, sir. 
Well, yeah, we had we had a great time at Cabrini. Uh, Twenty five years, I was there. Um, we just had our last alumni game this past Saturday. We had almost a hundred alumni players return for the last uh, shebang, and it was a it was a great day. It was a great day to see a lot of people uh, relive a lot of the memories that we established at Cabrini in our basketball program and our athletic program, and. Uh, Sorry to see it go, really am, because Cabrini, I felt, was a crown jewel of the small Division three schools in the Philadelphia area. I agree with you. Uh, and that history includes now lacrosse ch- national championships. There, it, it has certainly built itself to be a, a, a really neat athletic department that you were certainly a big part in helping build. What are, what are some of the memories that you have that you probably had rekindled this past weekend um, uh, of being there as coach of your program and all of that? Uh, we had so many stories back and forth. There were quite a few to tell, but from a personal perspective, I guess our first victory back in the NAIA days when we beat Coppin State at Coppin State to go to the NAI Nationals in Kansas City was a big thrill. Certainly the Kareem Brunson 90-foot shot at the buzzer to beat Alvernia, win a pack championship and qualify for the NCAAs. And uh, going with Marcus Kahn and his team to the championship game, standing with the players in practice uh, before that game and talking to them about how proud I was to see Cabrini playing in a national championship. Those are the things that stick out in my mind. Uh, If you don't mind a shameless moment, sir, the memory that sticks out in my mind is a particular win at the Decker Sports and Recreation Center in Towson, Maryland, over your Cabrini Cavs. Unfortunately, my alma mater then laid an egg in round number two. Um, I remember that game. I remember. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah that game comes up often when we, you and I talk. Um, yep. Listen, I, I know your end didn't didn't come as you wanted it at Cabrini, but what I've respected about you is you've still kept that that uh, that memory strong. You've still supported Cabrini in so many ways. You talk about going back for the alumni event. You talk about going to the championship game, despite the fact Cabrini is really in your blood, even if you're now down in South Carolina. Yeah, I was, uh, did a little video uh, tape for a, a Cabrini legacy event while I was up there this past weekend. As I told them, if you uh, cut my wrist, they come out blue. Uh, tempered with a little green from my time at Piedmont, so green, green and blue. But um, Cabrini was really my most of my adult life was spent at Cabrini as athletic director and head basketball coach. And uh, it really is in my blood and in my heart. Uh, I'm so disappointed that the school's closing. It's such a good school with so many good memories, not only just the athletic department, but the academics that the school puts out and the people that we developed uh, throughout the school. It's very, very sad. Yeah, what were your reactions when you heard the news, uh, and and how did you, I guess, handle it? What was what was the first reactions you had, and how did how what was the first thing you did when you heard the news? Well, certainly disbelief to a certain degree, but uh, you know, in in talking to people at Cabrini, I knew things were not going well, but no one knew that it had reached the point in time where they were going to shutter the doors. You know, it's the same things happening to St. Rose College of St. Rose. Brian Bury and I are good friends. We played against each other in the NCBT in Iowa many times. And uh, it just seems to be Cabrini's one to fall. St. Rose is another. But I'm sure that there's others that follow. But when you have been involved uh, as long as I have, like Brian at St. Rose, it's a, it's a real punch in the gut. 
quickly, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but how do you keep the history and the legacy of Cabrini athletics, men's basketball, whatever? Um, I know there's in the record books going to be a national championship for lacrosse. I know in the record books there will be final four appearances for men's basketball. Those are the NCAA books. How, if there's a ability, do you keep the Cabrini legacy and history still alive somewhere to help help people remember what Cabrini was? Yeah, that's what we're uh, that's what we're struggling with a little bit right now. But I think from a basketball perspective, as I said, with this alumni game and the uh, participation of our alums that came back to it. We have a, a survey on uh, Survey Monkey for them to respond about what they would like to see. I have some very active alumni that uh, surely want to continue our association, even though the school is closing. So we hope to be able to take some of the memorabilia uh, and place it somewhere that we can gather again in the future. Uh, it's a challenge not only for the basketball program, but it's certainly a challenge for the institution as well. Um, you know, we certainly are happy that Villanova is saving the campus and 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 their involvement, uh, particularly for the benefit of the Sisters of the Sacred Heart who own the school. But uh, for all the alums and the people who went there, uh, we're going to do our very best to try and keep that legacy alive. You guys have always had a strong alumni association in terms of athletics. It's amazing to me sometimes how an event like this past weekend, as you said, gets hundreds there or hundred there, whatever the number was. And, but every time I've talked to you over the years, there's always this strong Cabrini alum network that, that always comes together. What's been the secret with that? Well, I think from the beginning, I know from my perspective, both as athletic director and basketball coach, Cabrini has always been a family. I mean, that's thrown around a lot of times. You hear that that story about schools or teams that they're a family. Uh, it's, it's much like what Jay Wright, I think, did at Villanova. You know, when our players came, they stayed. We didn't have a lot of people transfer out. When students came to Cabrini, they stayed. Uh, and it was a small school where people got to know one another and that family atmosphere was easy to build. So when you have a family, just because somebody leaves your family, like my son or whatever, you're still family over the years. And so I think that's been our our tradition at Cabrini, that we have a strong group of dedicated alums. One, one of the things that you know disappoints me in this whole situation is that upper administration at the school really never gave the alumni a heads up about what was going on and gave them an opportunity to respond. I think had they done so, uh, I'm not sure whether or not the alumni would have been able to come up with with what was needed to save it financially, but I'm sure they would have tried. Yeah. I mean, the short term versus the long term, right? You know, could the alumni be able to, they maybe have been able to do something on the short term, whether they could have helped on the long term, who knows, but you're right. You know, you got to reach out and, and make that effort. Yeah, and I agree deserve, with you. They deserve the opportunity in my mind. And I don't think they were ever given that opportunity. And that's, yeah. that's again, very yeah. distant. I, I don't think anyone was given the opportunity, to be yeah. fair, the way this entire process played out at Cabrini and, and trying to keep it under wraps for as long as they tried. 
Um, yeah, the, the whole thing felt very uh, connived. Hey, sir, I appreciate your, your time and insight. We could dive into this topic and talk for hours about Cabrini <laughs> history, but I appreciate the 10 minutes you gave me because it was enough that it gives us a sense of the rich history. And again, you have a rich history with me in the show, and I appreciate you uh, and your time. We should point out, everybody, he is living the good life. He is, after his time at Piedmont, he's now a golf coach at a high school uh, down in South Carolina. I don't feel bad for you in one bit, sir. I'm making my tea time. I have a tea time in a half an hour, Dave. You're right. We're going to let you go, but we always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? I just want to thank Coopville for uh, what you guys do and what you have continued to do uh, to promote Division Three basketball. It's been a, a wonderful thing for me to be involved in, but I think anyone who's involved in Division Three basketball owes you a big vote of thanks. John, that's awfully kind of you to say. It means a lot to me to hear it from you. Thank you. Enjoy your tea time. Enjoy your Thanks, history. Dave. Thank you for your time. We'll we will talk soon. soon. Yep. We'll talk soon, John. Thank you very much. He is John Thank Zeke you, joining, joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. Great conversations with John there. We pivot now and hear from another former head coach who was at Cabrini during another run of heyday for them. Because as the Cabrini program moved on from John Zeke, they picked up Marcus Kahn, and they ended up having a tremendous opportunity with him, getting all the way to the Final Fours and getting a chance to almost win a national championship. They were on the doorstep, as it were, of getting that and nearly pulling it off. And thanks to our friends at Mary Washington, we got to hear from Marcus Kahn about his memories. All right, so thinking back to my time at, at, at Cabrini, it was really a special time for me, uh, personally, professionally. Um, there's the obvious runs to the, in the NCAA tournament that we had that made it a real special time. I think that the people that I got to work with day in and day out I still do. Are, are really what I miss and who I miss the most, along with, of course, the former players. Um, I think back to first arriving there, um, I thought about the days of competing against Coach Zeke uh, when I was at Wesley, and he was there uh, running the show at Cabrini, and uh, you know, always every day I was there, see the banner with his name on it in the gym, made, made me want to get better and work harder and get our program to that same level. Um, and then, of course, that Final Four run we had in 2012 was just incredible with the, the, the feeling on campus, the whole student body and everybody, all the faculty and staff on campus really behind us made it a real special time and one that I'll obviously never forget. And, um, you know, I, I hope that those guys are on that team as well. While Cabrini is shutting down, they know that our program uh, will live on forever in our hearts and, and we'll always have those memories together. Thanks again to Mary Washington for providing that audio for us. So you get the sense of what it was like from the past and into the future, as it were, because there is no future for Cabrini. One of the coaches, so they made a coaching change at the end of last season, seemingly trying to spark their men's program to improve like its women's program had. And within weeks, the announcement came, thanks in part to our reporting, that Cabrini was closing its doors. The women's program ended up closing its doors as a result, as Kate Pearson left for Rowan on the women's side. But Ryan Van Zelst, who got hired from Penn State Abington, decided to stick it on. And we spoke to him yesterday about the reasons behind that decision and what they're doing at Cabrini now. 
Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the Cabrini Cavaliers as it is now. Obviously heard from the past, we get to hear from the president. It's Ryan Van Zelst joining us. Uh, coach, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. I know this is a bittersweet season. It is not what you planned when you signed up, as they say. Uh, but I So I appreciate you taking the time to talk about it because I know it's not an easy topic. Yeah, no problem at all. And, you know, bittersweet is the perfect word to describe the situation. Uh, It it is a special place. And even in my limited amount of time here, um, I feel that. And I love the people I work with and, you know, the people that are still around campus. Um, But at the same time, yeah, you know, there's sadness involved because of um, the what if piece and, you know, trying to get this program back to where where it should be in Division three, where where it should have been in Division three, where it was not so long ago. So um, bittersweet is, is a great word to describe it. Let's back up. You're running Penn State Abingdon. We had you on last year. It's you. It's bro versus bro. It's you're doing well at Abingdon. Things are well. Cabrini's job opens up. Maybe a little surprisingly for some. Uh, certainly, they weren't having the success. But you know, there's this attitude that I'm getting from behind the scenes. Cabrini wants to turn the corner. They want to get this story program back on track. So they've decided to make a coaching change moving forward, and the job opens. You're no dummy. Sure. Yeah, you, that's a good that's a good athletics department. Let's apply there and you get the job. What was that process like? Like that's not an easy decision to leave Abingdon, but you must have been pretty thrilled at the fact that you had a Cabrini job and, and an opportunity to go to a pretty impre- impressive program in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up in suburban Philadelphia, and obviously last year's interview was a lot more lighthearted with Adam. Unfortunately, he was on it with us. But um, yeah, just, you know, we had a great year at Abington and we had great we had great players at Abington. They obviously made great coaches. So um, I was blessed and we had an awesome run. And I love the people there. But to be frank, this is Cabrini University men's basketball. And, and what Coach Zeke and Coach Khan have done and built and, and what they've achieved – I, you know, I've seen that as for on the outside as a student athlete, as a fellow coach, and um, just knowing how successful the department's been across the board, and being in the in the Philly area and being able to stay and not even move to take this job, oh, I was ecstatic. Um, so when it first opened, and, and you know, based on the success that we had at Abington, I felt it was an opportunity I I try to you know take advantage of and get in the mix and. Luckily enough, I was hired to try to uh, to reestablish the program and, and take it back to where where it should be and where it should have been. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was super positive, and I was like, super excited to get involved. Um, and obviously within six weeks, you know, news changes and you hear things. And, yeah, I was sad. I was absolutely sad about what happened. Uh, but it, 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 that's life, right? Things things happen uh, that you can't, can't foresee. Did so yeah, about six weeks later we break the news that Cabrini is scuttled. I'll be honest with you, Ryan. I was hearing that news prior to your hiring, uh, or right around your hiring. I was starting to get scuttlebutt that that something was up. Before we get into that, how did you start to find out? Were you starting to hear anything before our reporting, or was our reporting the first time you heard anything? Well, you know, when I was at Abington the year before, the, the article came out where um, they were actively searching partners and right, you, know, you right. can take that for what it is. And there's a million opinions on that as well. Um, a lot of schools so doing that, too. And, yep. And throughout the process, the interview process, you know, I asked those questions. And um, that being said, um, this is a job I would have took 10 out of 10 times. Um, it's Cabrini University men's basketball. And I fully understand that. And 
Yeah, was there risk, risk involved? Absolutely. Um, that's risk I accepted the minute I accepted the job. Um, so, yeah, you hear things. And, you know, when I was here with those the, during those six weeks, you'd hear some things from from some staff members that, you know, have been established on campus, but never in my wildest dreams would I have assumed it would have happened so quick. Um, you know, and obviously there's plans and rehabilitation plans within the department, and the admissions department and the university and what we're going to do to try and fix these problems. But, um, yeah, for me to tell you within six weeks, I would have heard that. Um, that was extremely surprising. There's no doubt. It sense to me that when you got hired, there were people in the right places who understood already that this was the end. This that 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 this was going to happen. It was a matter of when the announcement was going to take place, not necessarily a matter of if or when or if or could it. Now, I think when they decided to let the previous coach go, maybe they weren't so sure. So that decision, I think, was maybe felt that they're trying to move forward. They want a coaching change. But when they hired you, I think maybe they knew the future was done. Again, we break the news. Is that kind of the first time it hit you that, no, this is happening? Or did you have anybody on campus who said, by the way, FYI, this will be our last year? No, you know, uh, just like everybody else, when you guys uh, when you guys broke that news, that's when I that's when I first found out. Um, and you know, being here for less than six months, I wasn't privy to any any information like that. Regardless, and the one thing I will say, um, you know, Kate Corcoran hiring me, she's fantastic at her job, and I hold no ill will to her or anyone in this athletic department. Now, like we mentioned, and you previously mentioned here, um, maybe somebody knew, but. For me in this department, I was completely unaware of it. And um, like I said, I love working here. And even the limited time here, I understand how special this place is. So for me to hold any ill will towards them in this process, that wouldn't be fair on my end. But um, no doubt there's sadness that comes involved with the decision and and the turnaround. But that information I would have never been privy to anyway. So. And, and just for the record, I'm not necessarily saying Kate Corcoran knew anything. I don't know who knew what. No, I know. But I know. in the hiring process, people above Kate Corcoran are involved. That's where I'm kind of leaving that hint. Um, yep. All right. So then you find out the news and you've got to talk to your team and you got to talk to the athletic department and you got to talk to everybody to find out what is going for happening going forward. Like, wh- what are we doing? I assume you you were going to know you were going to have a season, but there's a lot of what if students might say, forget it, I'm out of here. How did you guys balance whatever the next few days, few weeks, whatever were? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the sad part was th- those six weeks, we worked really hard to rebuild the roster um, in terms of bringing in, you know, we need to, we need to inject talent. Um, so we had a Zoom. Um with all with all the the guys who told us they were coming and, and um you know I'm not the kind of person that's gonna say hey you're staying and this everyone every young man's journey and life uh is up to them and if they want me to be their guy their mentor their coach absolutely so we sat down had a zoom and I gave them as much information that I had at that time and said hey if you want to stay I'll give you everything I have um in terms of being competitive as we possibly can and, and providing a great college experience for this one year that we have. Um, that being said, you know, we lost, we lost three to four guys that probably would have played a decent amount. And does that stink because it would have helped us be a little bit more successful and help in the rebuild overall? Absolutely. But um, no ill will towards them. They got to do what's best for them. And um, this is their career, their life, their journey. Um, and I still root those guys on. I check box scores, try to stay in contact with them. So um, that's just part of the deal. And, but we, 
you know, we had a Zoom, <clears throat> gave them a month to kind of make a decision and figure out what works best. And after that month, six weeks, we got together again, said, okay, this is what we're doing. And here's the plan. We're going to treat it just like it's a normal year and, and work really hard and try to be as competitive as possible. Now, personally, was there about two mo months of sadness for me? Absolutely. Um, it took me a long time to, you know, dig out of that hole and, you know, get motivated and get going and realize, you know, I'm still lucky enough I get to coach. Because as we know, there's other institutions where they just shut it down. They didn't even get to play or coach or compete. And so it could always be worse. As you know, every situation could always be worse. But uh, we kind of went day by day, week by week, and then built, um, you know, more and more towards the end of August. And once we settled in and knew who we had and who was committed to, to trying to do things this year, um, we went we, we went forward uh, the best we possibly could. Well, the pivot on that, too, is that Kate Pearson leaves the women's program to take the job at Rowan after this news breaks. Whether she would have taken the job at Rowan or not, it's up for debate, certainly. We haven't talked to Kate about it. But then as a result of that, the women's program scuttles the season. I know there's other moving parts there. There's about putting an interim person in place. There's about having numbers and all that. Did that have any impact on you guys? Did that put uh, a moment of pause on whether you would end up having a season yourselves? Yeah, well, I got to say, I love Kay Pearson. I'm actually sad she didn't stay. She's a great coach, great person. Um, Scranton ties there, too. So um, so it was really sad about that. But no, you know, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really directly impact us. Practice times are a little bit easier. That's about the, the most only positive thing about it. Um, but we did, obviously you get outside um, outside chatter and everyone starts asking. So we had to revisit that conversation with the guys and let's let them know. Hey, we're moving forward. You know, everything's status quo. I mean, as normal as it possibly can be, just because we don't have the women's program um, competing alongside us doesn't mean that we're not going to have a season. So besides outside chatter, you know, it, it kept everything the same. And then, you know, personally, I was sad. I didn't get to learn more from Kate. Uh, but I know I know she landed on her feet and Rowan's a great place. It speaks volumes, by the way, that there is zero bio for you on the Cabrini website. Um I just point that out because, you know, as I went to double check information, I was startled to just find a headshot. Uh, at least you got the headshot. Um, you're playing the season out. And at this point in time, it's not an above 500 season, but that's not what's important here. Barring something kind of crazy, you will be in the ASC tournament. Anything's possible at that point. I know the guys are playing with heavy hearts and, and a little bit of an emotion and maybe some stoicism, but is is this just about playing and, and enjoying the season is it about being competitive what's what's the what's the mentality inside the locker room yeah you know wins and losses are measured in so many different ways right um but you know we we've been competitive and yeah you know we're young and our bodies aren't great right now because of because of our you know the age of our roster and we have returners that we're asking to do things that have never been asked before in their playing career um, and, and you know what? I can be demanding. I'm extremely emotional. Um, but the guys, I, I can't say enough great things about them and how they've handled themselves. And yeah, we've had some, we've had some close losses to some really good teams. We, we played SWAT, Susquehanna really tight and, and had some awesome moments, but obviously with youth and, uh, newness comes, um, lack of consistency. So, um, there's been some really high highs and some really low lows, but, you know, we're still trying to be as competitive as we possibly can. And like you said, anything can happen. And um, we'll just keep battling it out. And like every coach will tell you, we strive to improve every single day, practice and games. And now there is some awkwardness and some sadness that comes with 
you know, the vibe on campus and the lack of energy. And But, you know, we have to do – we still have to come to work every day. And what we make of that is defines our character and defines us who we are. So, you know, I try to get that to them. And the one thing I will say about the Young Men in Our Program, 10 years from now, because we have gone through this, especially, especially the student-athletes, they will come out stronger. And whether that hits them a year from now, two years from now, five years now, from 10 years from now – they will be in a position of employment where they have more life experience than anyone else in that position. I can almost guarantee it just because the raw emotion, whether they feel it or not, not right now, what we're going through um, and, and you know what we battle through the best we possibly can. And I couldn't be prouder enough uh, for them and, you know, them dealing with me who can be a lot. And my expectations are high, regardless of the situation. We want to win games and we want to get better, but um, I, I can't say enough uh, positive about the young men that stuck it out with me. It, no, I'm forever indebted to them as well. Tight games against Swarthmore and Susquehanna. Um, uh, a win over Scranton, which I know you probably smiled a little bit about being where you were an assistant coach at one time. You mentioned Scranton earlier with Kate. Um, wins over Rosemont and uh, who was the one? Salisbury. Listen, you, you've got some feathers to go in that Cabrini hat, to say the least. Um uh, and listen, we heard from John Zeke. The The community has rallied. You know, the, the alumni came out in force last weekend to celebrate everything that is Cabrini and its history. And, and listen, we know it's a storied history. That had to have been a really good moment for you guys. The result may not have been there, but you had to have been happy with, with the experience. Yeah, Coach Zeke, you know, every time you meet someone around Cabrini University, they mention him, and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, and – then when you talk to him, you feel it. Uh, he, he's extremely genuine. Um, he loves Cabrini. Um, and he's just a good person. And he's done great things. And just having everyone back. And honestly, everyone coming back was an indictment on him. And just the older guys that came back and talked about how special the place was. I mean, there was 250-plus former players, friends, coaches, managers, and no one's saying a bad word about Coach Zeke and everything he's done uh, for the community and the campus and the athletic department um, and the program here. So uh, it, it was really unique to be a part of. And obviously my involvement is to a lesser degree, but just being an outsider and watching watching uh, the former players from Coach McDonald, Coach Cotta, and Coach Zeke come together, talk about it, you know, run up and down the court a little bit um, and just enjoy each other's company was was really special, um, and it speaks volumes to the program. Uh, it was, but he he is a very special person. I will I will admit that. Yeah, what an amazing moment! Wish I could have been able to see some of that, even though I would have been an interloper <laughs> to the larger degree. What's the future, Ryan? I know you got a conference tournament ahead that you guys maybe will try and you know spoil some parties and and maybe make some miraculous run and knock off a Gwinnett or a Marymount or whoever you end up playing. But in reality, what's the future, especially for yourself? Uh, after this season comes to a close sometime in the next some odd, you know, four some odd weeks? Yeah, first uh, first and foremost, we got to work really hard to get our student-athletes places, whether that's uh, graduating um, or, you know, trying to get to new institutions to play or just to go to another institution to go to school. So uh, my responsibility will be, with, will be with them. Following the season, we'll, we'll enter everyone that wants to go into the portal, everyone that wants to go in. Um, and then once that's over, as you know, in our profession, it's it's what opens up and, you know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Um, obviously, the third year of trying to change the culture and um, change the program in a way for the better, I hope, um, is difficult for me. There's no doubt. But uh, 
what's meant to be is meant to be. Um, and, and I'll search and we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I love what I do. I, I love mentoring young, young people and, and coaching and, and being a mentor and helping them reach all their dreams and goals. And, and that's really why I do it. And level to me means nothing. Um, it's basketball, it's, it's mentorship, it's companionship, it's a brotherhood. Um, but we'll see, you know, and like I said, uh, you know, I love, I love being here. I love my time here at Cabernet and I would have taken this job 10 out of 10 times and, you know, things happen and I'm sad about it, but we'll move forward and we'll look to try and try to build something special at the next place. So, but no, I appreciate you shedding the light on, on the, on the community itself and the campus. Well, I appreciate your time and being so forthright about it as well. I know it's a tough spot. I've been trying to stay out of your hair. People ask, have you talked to Ryan? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm leaving the man alone. Uh, he doesn't need me bugging him that much about nothing. Um, I appreciate it. Seriously, great to, to reminisce. I appreciate you letting us understand the, the challenges that were this year and what you're continuing to do. Uh, hats off to you, sir, for staying there and gutting it out and, and getting it done and looking after the student-athletes the way you have. As always, we give the guests a final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? No, thanks, Dave. I, I, I appreciate you. Like I said, I appreciate you shedding light to, to Cabernet Men's Basketball Program. And um, you know what? We'll do the best we can. And I wish you the best of luck and uh, the rest of the way. I know you'll be a super busy here moving forward. But thanks again. It's always great catching up. Yeah. Uh, hey, next time, better terms. How's that sound? <laughs> let's, let's hope. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Ryan, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Good luck to the whole team and everybody there at Cabrini. And we'll talk to you soon. No, I appreciate that. Thank Ryan you. Menzels joining us here from Cabrini on the Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate Ryan joining us. Really insightful from him talking about what they dealt with and why they're fighting through and what he meant in terms of loyalty to that organization. Uh, it's too bad what's happening, Cabrini. It, it was one of the it's one of the toughest stories I've ever had to try and report on. Uh, hats off to uh, John Zeke, Marcus Kahn, especially those at Mary Washington, and especially uh, Ryan Van Zels for coming on to talk about it. I really appreciate it, to say the least. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I forgot we had one more live segment to go to. Farmingdale State is going to join us. Brendan Twomey will talk about his men's basketball team in the Skyline Conference. Lots of good stuff to talk about there. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com. The marathon continues after Brendan. We'll talk to the National Committee Chairs as well. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA.
Responsibility is being accountable for your words and actions, first and foremost. It also is an obligation to be a positive influence in the communities around you. Being in a D3 program, you're gonna have lots of different opportunities. You're not just an athlete, you're also involved in student life. Your academics are extremely important. We give a lot of our student athletes responsibilities right from the start by giving them leadership opportunities, by having them engage in the community, be a positive influence, that's being a responsible person. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue along, um, a quick reminder that our conversation with the National Committee Chairs will be coming up here in just a moment. But we're going to have one more coaching segment on this 10th annual Hoopsville Marathon, which was supposed to be wrapping up in four minutes. I promise you we'll be going a little bit past uh, where we were going to end this show. It always happens on the marathon as, as much as I schedule it as best as I can. Um Farmingdale State men's basketball is having a tremendous season once again in the um, Skyline Conference. They are, uh, let's see here, let's double check, make sure I don't have it wrong. 19-1, that's right, 19-1 in the season. 11-0 in conference play, their lone loss to Ramapo 89-84 earlier this season. They got some significant wins to take a look at there, but maybe they're flying a little bit off the radar for a lot of teams. I know Ryan Scott has brought them up on a couple occasions when we talk top 25 uh, what are they as a team? Well, joining us on the uh, Hoopsville Hotline is Brendan Toomey, the uh, head coach of the aforementioned Rams, sitting there in the Skyline Conference. Coach, uh, thanks first and foremost for finding some time today. I, I know it's been uh, it's been busy as a coach uh, at this time of year. Uh, what do we make? 19-1 and one on the season, undefeated in Skyline play, uh, a conference that certainly doesn't always let its top dog go undefeated. You're sitting there now. What? What? How are things going from your perspective? I mean, everything's going well so far this year. The skyline. Um, you know, we've done a pretty good job. You know, just focusing on the next game, which has helped us out. Um, but yeah, I mean, coming down the stretch here, everyone's going to try to pick us off. So we got to be ready every game we play. Yeah, I, that's the key, right? Because um, the target gets bigger and bigger. A as you go longer and longer without losing a game in conference. And you've still got a bit of a beast to go. You've actually got Yeshiva coming up here uh, on the road at their place in, tomorrow, we should point out. They're the ones sitting about a game and a half behind you in the conference standings before there is a bit of a drop-off. Uh, SUNY, so they're 10-2 and two in conference play. You're 11-0. Oh. SUNY Maritime 7-4. and four. Manhattan is 6-4. and four. And Sarah Lawrence, along with Mount St. Vincent, is 6-5. and five And continue the rest. But... Uh, this is a big game coming up on Saturday. You guys lock this one up. You're, you're going to all but assure yourselves of being at home for the conference tournament. I, I know you don't want to put pressure on anybody, but that's an important part of this. Yeah, I mean, they're all they're all important at this point in the season. I mean, obviously, when we play Yeshiva, it's always a tough game. Um, they're having a great year again. Um, so hopefully we can you know play well on the road tomorrow night. 
This is a bit of a rivalry, if memory serves, too, between your two programs. There's been some uh, interesting moments over the years between the two, but a lot of the players sometimes can't always appreciate that. How do you keep everybody kind of understanding? It's about the game, long and short of it. It's about the game. It's about executing. It's not about any extracurriculars that others may bring up, uh, and it's not about getting into the emotions of it because, more importantly, you got to play a solid 40 minutes. Yeah, my, my senior captains have done a good job. You know, Corey Powell, Nick Horowitz, and Javon Santos is a junior. But they've done a good job this year of just focusing on each game. Um, you know, Nick and, and Corey have been with me. This is their fifth year because of COVID. So they've been with me for a while. So they've been a part of the Yeshiva rivalry. Um, and they've done a good job, you know, these last couple of days of just telling these guys, we just got to focus on the game. Don't worry about the pass. And, you know, just try to, you know, do what we've been doing, focus in each game and go on the road and try to get a win. You guys earlier this season got a, a, a win over Eastern Connecticut to get the season rolling. Then you went to Scranton and kind of rolled out of there with two victories over Marywood and Scranton. Um, lost to Brooklyn, as we mentioned, but re- rebounded off of that with a win over Wesleyan. You got a win over New Jersey City. Uh, got into conference play and certainly started playing well. Um, what's been the secret with this team? What 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 is What has clicked so well this season? We're used to maybe almost 20 win or 21 seasons, but you know, 19 and one, I, I'll be hard to, to find last time we were talking about the program at this point in the season being at this stage. So what's worked so well? We just have great leaders. You know, we've got a lot of veterans on our team that have pretty much been in any situation you can think of. You know, last year we, we lost to uh, Christopher Newport in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Lost by one point, we had a shot to win the game. Um, and I only had one senior last year. So a lot of these guys are back. Um, They've been battle-tested, I guess you could say, but there's really nothing that we haven't seen, you know, as a group. Um, so those guys, you know, my upperclassmen have been very good this year in practice and just being great leaders. So I think that's the number one thing that has us where we're at right now at 19-1. I think the last time you guys got this far uh, in terms of a season was when you played, uh, and I know you weren't there at the time, but this was the uh, – 2008-2009 season lost in the last regular season game against St. Joseph's Long Island and then went into postseason play and won three and lost one at the end to Richard Stockton. Of course, it was just Stockton now. Uh, again, you weren't there. So this is this is kind of uncharted territory a little bit for all of you. Uh, I know, obviously, we talk a lot about schools, about the experience that the um, players, both seniors and juniors, bring, but more importantly, our upperclassmen yeah, – what is it about this unit that are they are they taking it personal? Is it that game in the NCAA tournament? They said no, we're better than that. Is it something else that they're like, no, we know we can get this accomplished? What what's that nuance? I guess is what I'm driving at. Um, I guess I could agree with you know our guys that were that were with us last year and saw how well we did in the NCAA tournament. Even though we didn't win, we played very tough, and they kind of have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, they, they want to get back to the NCAA tournament and they want to compete at the highest level. Um, so I think having so many returners that have been in tough games, I think that's really helping us out right now. Not mute myself to the broadcast, everybody. Uh, it's making a difference, certainly. Um, 17 and a half points is how you're outscoring your opponents on average this season. You're putting up 88 points. 
uh, a game. I'm looking back at last year. You had a squad that put up 77 points per contest, and the year before that, it was 76 points. So you, you obviously have an offense that's clicking while having a defense that I think is about the same, relatively speaking. So obviously figured things out on the offensive end. Yeah, we're doing a good job of sharing the ball this year. Our assists are up. Um, I think that's why our shooting percentage is up. I believe right now we're top five in uh, three-point percentage, maybe two. I don't remember exactly what we are, but um, we're, we're doing a good job sharing the ball and taking good shots. And if you do that, you know, and you have guys that can knock shots down, that helps. So I think that's why our offense is a little bit better this year. You're averaging 18 uh, assists per game, which makes me want to go dive in and see where that ranks in terms of the NCAA, because 18 assists a game is is certainly not a low number by any stretch of the imagination. That's 16th best in the nation. Ironically, it's second best in the conference. <laughs> you'd think you'd be number 16, you'd, you'd be number one, but uh, there's others who like to share the ball. But that's that's when you're top 20 in Division Three in, in any category, that's that's significant. Yeah, like I said, we, you know, we have guys that – that have been with me for a long time and, you know, they know the system, you know, we have very unselfish players, you know, I have guys scoring, Nick is scoring around 19. I think Aaron's 17, a couple guys in the high teens. So we have guys that could shoot and score you know, we just got to share the ball. You're also jump out the page when it looks at other national rankings too. Uh 13th in fouls per game, meaning you don't foul a ton. Uh, you're number one in rebound margin at 13 plus going to you. Versus your opponent, seventh in the nation in defensive rebounds a game, fourteenth in offensive rebounds, which equates to second in the nation in total rebounds a game at forty-six uh, contests. Your scoring margin is tenth best. Your scoring offense is twelfth best in Division Three. Your three-point defense, your three-point defense. We were talking to BJ Dunn and D- Nate Davis earlier from um, um, from Gettysburg about that. You're, I'm sorry, your three-point shooting is second best. I was mislooking at the category. You're shooting 41.5% from beyond the arc. You're in the top 50 in three-pointers per game. There's a lot of things here that at this point in the season, if you're still ranked up that high, you got to be doing something right. And a lot of those stats, to your point, are unselfish stats. you got to do something for the greater good you got to rebound you got to pass the ball you got to go get defensive boards to keep offensive chances it speaks volumes yeah i hope you're not jinxing us we got to hit some shots tomorrow night don't be jinxing us with all those stats all right yeah um yeah when 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 i have guys who've been with me for a while um they kind of just you know know the system and know what we're trying to do so that that helps um you know you know our our leadership and you know, the guys that they've just been playing well throughout the whole year. You know, it's hard. You know, when you get on a streak like this, it's hard. Everyone wants to knock you off. We've had some close games. We've had some overtime games. But we've always, you know, we've seemed to to manage it and, and come out on top. To your point, eight seniors on this squad, one junior, four sophomores, four freshmen. So, obviously, it's very senior heavy. Uh, a little bit of a let's get it done this year mentality, I'm sure, that you've been speaking about is there. Nick Hurwitz, uh, senior, is leading the way. At uh, 19 points a game, eight and a half rebounds a contest. Aaron Davis, also a senior, averaging 16 points a game. Um, both of them shoot better than 43% with Hurowitz at 49%. Your third is Corey Powell, also a senior. He shoots 54% from the floor, 13 points a game, nearly five rebounds a contest. And I'll bring up two other guys because they're close to double figures as well. Michael uh, Notius, um, 
who is a sophomore, in fact, uh, and Jev, uh, Jevin uh, Santos, ugh, my mouth is shutting down here, uh, a senior. Uh, Santos, 19.3, Notius, uh, 8.3 a game. Obviously, it's senior-driven, and, and they're getting their points, but they're also doing it really well with good shooting and good rebounding and all of that. That group, that, that trio of the first three I mentioned as seniors, you've mentioned already, really have taken it upon their own here. Yeah, the, I, I've said I don't know how many times I've said the word leadership, but those three guys are the leaders. Um, you know, and Javon too, Javon Santos. He's another one of our leaders. He's our captain. But um, they've played. They've been playing so long together. They just have a good chemistry going right now, and that helps with sharing the ball. They they know where the good shot is at each possession, and um, I think when you take good shots, that's when your percentages go up. What is it? You don't have a ton of underclassmen, but you do have a fair share. Again, we said the one junior, four sophomores, four freshmen. Yes, it's senior orientated, so they're going to have to take a step aside to let those seniors have their moment, as it were, in their final year if they don't have another year to come back for graduate. Um, what, what is it? the message, though, you think is being sent to those underclassmen? Uh, do you think they're receiving the understanding that this you got to be unselfish? For sure. Um, you know, I think every day in practice, we have pretty competitive practices. Um, and those three guys, Nick, you know, Aaron, Corey, um, they do a good job of, you know, competing in all the drills that we do. And that, that trickles down to all the young kids, you know, whether you're one year in the program, two years in the program, um, we're really going to miss those three guys. Um, but they've done a great job this year of, you know, letting the younger guys know, you know, what the expectations are every day in practice. We had you on two years ago. You guys were absolutely on a tear through the conference at that point. You had lost eight games the entire season by the end, and six of them had come before mid-December. You only lost two more the rest of the way. Unfortunately, one of them was in the conference tournament against Manhattanville. You talk about the NCAA tournament last year, which certainly was significant, but is there any still drive there and understanding that, you know, we still have to get the job done. There's nothing guaranteed about going to March and playing in the NCAA tournament or anything like that if we can't get it done in February. 100%. We talk about it every day. Um, that's why we're trying not to think about the conference tournament right now. We're trying to just focus on Yeshiva, which is our next game, which is tomorrow. Um, and I think having a, you know, a veteran team, they've done a good job of, of reminding everyone every day we got to focus on our next opponent you know and then if, if we do that and we continue to do that and we take care of business you know the rest will take care of itself yeshiva is 13 and 8 this season uh but they're 10 and 2 in conference play so they're a game and a half behind you as we mentioned earlier um i'm double checking because i can't remember anything at this point in time in the show uh earlier in the season you guys played it was back in no you didn't play you haven't played that's right off off yeah, off yeah tilted schedule i forgot about that um, right yeah they're not they're not on our side of the conference right. so we only play them once i keep forgetting that that nuance um you know them from their history you've now seen them on video more times than you probably want to as you prep for this game what are you expecting from them what do you hope to take advantage understanding I'm, you're not going to give anything away ahead of the game but what what should we expect if we were to tune in to understand how you all are playing and if if things are going your way? Well, they're a good team. Obviously, they always they share the ball really well. They're probably number one in the conference in in assists if we're number two. Uh, um, they shoot the ball very well. They run their system very well. Um, you know, they have some guys that could shoot it as well. So we've been working on some things in practice to try to take away some of the things that they like to do. Um, 
you know, it'll be a good game tomorrow. It always is against, you know, against Yeshiva, especially on the road. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, our guys, you know, they're looking forward to it. So hopefully we play well and come out of there with a W. Well, it's impressive. Uh, you know, Ryan's brought you up on a couple occasions. I know you've been on my radar, uh, as you know, for uh, for several weeks now. Um, and I, I like getting these conversations because it helps us with a little bit of insight. I'm curious when you go out to recruit. Obviously, a year like this will be very helpful. Say, hey, look, you know, one loss at this point in the season. We're in the conference battle. We're gonna you're gonna hopefully win the regular season and conference title, et cetera. But with an institution like yours. Uh, um, what is the pitch? What What do you guys go out there and sell yourselves as as a program that hopefully moving forward can continue this success? Yeah, I mean, this is my eleventh season here, so you know, I obviously try to sell them on myself and the program here. And over the last, I think we've won five of the last six uh, regular season titles, and we've been to the NCAA tournament three of the last six years. So obviously, we sell them on a winning program. You're going to have a chance to compete. Um, and, and, you know, get a, get an opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament every year. Um, so that's kind of what we sell them on, um, you know, just our past and, you know, how we work hard every day. You know, I have three great assistant coaches that are always out recruiting and that helps. Um, and then just sell them on what we've been all about the last, you know, 10 years since I've been here. Uh, we should point out you played at uh, Oyanta for a short period of time and then Mount St. Mary, right? Um, I believe Correct. you played. Yep. Um, before you were then uh, an assistant coach, an associated coach at Stevens, and then Centenary, and now here, you've certainly seen it, um, you've seen the programs from a lot of different perspectives. Uh, really, to be to be blunt, um, I, and obviously, it's working here. You found a home. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not looking to go anywhere. We're we're right where I want to be here as a program. You know, we're competing for a championship every single year. You know, we have great kids in our program right now. Our athletic directors, you know, has great support. Our our president has great support. He's at every one of our games, sitting at midcourt, um, you know, supporting us every single game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. I like it here. I'm in a good spot. Hey, Brendan, I appreciate the time. Uh, great to get your insight on this Rams program. Appreciate you uh, bearing with us on this day, too. I know you were busy, but uh, thanks uh, very much. Great to talk to you about the program. I'm looking forward to how this turns out. The, I, I have a feeling we're going to maybe be talking about you come March, and you're one of on, on a longer and longer list of teams that maybe no one wants to see opening round of an NCAA tournament. As always, always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? I uh, just want to say thank you to you and everyone at D3 Hoops for all you guys do. Uh, you guys do a great job, you know, covering all the teams and, you know, all the all the things that you do for Division Three. So we, we want to, I want to say thank you for that. And then good luck to everyone up coming up this last month and down the stretch. Yeah, good luck all about Yeshiva, though, right? Uh, you said it, not me. I know, but you, were, you got a game tomorrow. You don't want to wish them luck. I get it. It's a rivalry. Oh, oh. I understand that, even if it has some <laughs> moments in its recent history. Yep. Hey, Brendan, thanks again for your time. Take care of yourself. Good luck uh, moving forward, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Brendan Twomey joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. I really appreciate his time. Uh, we got a little delayed getting him on, and he stuck around, and I appreciate him doing so. Uh, when we take a break, well, we are taking a break. When we come back, 
finally, the National Committee Chairs. Uh, Bethany uh, Danley from Washington and Lee and Luke Fulkertze from Rochester will talk to us about the everything regarding the National Committee. We had a great long conversation with them. I think it's worth tuning into. You're listening to Hoops so presented by D3 Hoops. That is coming up next. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's nearly 850 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over two decades. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.